This is Enjoy Cherokee Voices, a podcast recorded live to deliver in-depth conversations with dynamic people from all corners of Cherokee County. Listeners like you sink into this weekly podcast to learn more about the people that make Cherokee County extraordinary. And now it's time to get to know another neighbor. Here's your host, Jody Drinkard. Hello, hello, Katie. Good morning. Who's our neighbor today that we're going to get to know? Michael Caldwell is our neighbor today. It is. We sound like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> we do. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Okay. Michael Caldwell. Yes. Why, why is he in the office? Because he is running for the mayor of Woodstock. That's right. It was a really good show. I really got to know him. Um, you're going to find out that this was the first time I met him oh. and we have been like skirting each other. We know each other's <laughs> friends and everything. So it was yeah. kind of funny. And it was a really good talk. We had a good time. Awesome. Michael Caldwell is the owner and managing partner of Black Airplane, a full stacked digital product agency. They recently expanded and they had a ribbon cutting last week. I think it was last week. And he kind of talks about that. It was recorded earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about that upcoming. So I just want to let everybody know that that already happened. That's exciting. They, yeah, they expanded their business. So that's pretty cool. Um, Michael served for eight years in the Georgia House of Representatives. Get to learn about that today. Um, He's also on the board of directors for the Cherokee County Historical Society. And his beautiful wife, Katie, serves as the... Katie. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of us out there. (laughs) Katie serves as the president of the Elm Street Cultural Arts Village. And um, actually, that name is changing real soon to... I think it's called Woodstock Arts. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I like that. Katie and Michael have two children. They live in Woodstock and they also have, they love Great Danes. Oh, Great Danes are so cute. They're humongous. I know. I don't think I ever knew how big Great Danes were until a neighbor of ours got one. I went to the door (laughs) and like it was a step down from the from where the dog came up in the in the doorway right i'm on the porch which is about a step down and that dog was looking at me right in the face i mean <laughs> yeah. i was a little shocked they're huge um but they're very very passive very good dogs and mm-hmm. interestingly enough they named their dogs liberty and justice oh so sweet but justice passed away about a month ago so oh, no. liberty's still around yeah how sad so michael and katie have and their children have had to say goodbye to justice. But, but anyway, it's going to be a good show. It's not a downer. We're going to make it happen. It's, it's really a good show. I'm glad you're all here to listen. So yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy. Don't forget, Fun Facts with Katie at the end of the show. I am so excited to be in the studio today with nobody other than and Mr. Michael Caldwell. How are you? I'm Welcome. Out, I'm outstanding. Thank you, Jody. I really appreciate you guys having me here today. Well, it's good to see your face. Actually, we have never met face to face until about five minutes ago. Which is wild in a, in, a, in a large, small world like Woodstock that that's possible. Absolutely. <laughs> I am so excited to be here. And yeah, I kind of feel like I did meet your wife over the last few days on a podcast. 
I uh, I was listening to that podcast driving up. It's fun to uh, it's fun to get to listen to. Uh, it, my wife's the president of the board of directors for Elm Street, soon to be Woodstock Arts, and uh, got to talk about the big celebration they had opening the Reeves House last weekend. And yeah, it was fun yeah. to get to hear her on it. I thought she did a great job. She did, she did, and that was a very good podcast. It always is. I'm Glad a big fan. Have- I tell her all the time, "You leave me, I'm going with you." So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michael. I just learned something else about you. I thought Uh-oh. you were born and raised in Woodstock, but no. I was wrong. No, I uh, I was actually, I was born in Michigan. We lived in Michigan, California, Texas, North Carolina, uh, ended up in Georgia. We moved something like 11 times before I was in the fifth grade, uh, but we kept coming back to Woodstock. So we actually lived in Woodstock three separate times between uh, Michigan and North Carolina, between North Carolina and here, and we kept coming back, lived in three different houses, two doors down from each other in Eagle Watch. No so, kidding. Yeah, I knew all the best hiding places for hide and seek in all my friends' houses. <laughs> <laughs> so what, high, oh, um, I'm sorry, what grade schools did you attend? Yeah, so I actually, I was the first first grade class at Bascom. Uh, I was uh, there for almost all of my elementary grades. I think I missed second grade and third grade there. Uh, and then I was at uh, Chapman when it was, the, I was the first sixth grade class at Chapman Intermediate. I was at ET Booth and I went to Etowah. Wow. Yeah. You went to Etowah High School. I did. You Go graduated. What year did you graduate? I was 07. And so uh, uh, lamenting even the fact that I'm going to be the mayor of Woodstock, I'm still, still Etowah at heart. Still so. Etowah. <laughs> that's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's all that's about right. Cherokee County. That's it. That's exactly right. That's those, right. Those high school football games, I sure won't be rooting too hard for the other school. I have another question for you, and this uh, I'm, I'm pulling pulling things out of the sure out of the bag here. But were you ever in a, in Scouts? Uh, I did Cub Scouts for a little while, but I did ROTC Air Force ROTC through high school. Oh, you did? So, yeah, yeah. Not an Eagle Scout. No, my brother in law was an Eagle Scout. I'll tell you, one of the big regrets of my life was that I didn't follow that through. I think really? that, that could have been a really neat advantage. I uh, it, one of the most fun parts about being in the State House for as long as I was was I got to uh, carry a lot of Eagle Scout resolutions and tell you, you find, uh, find some really impressive, uh, young individuals who make it across that line. Yeah. I was wondering about that because I did hear you had quite a place in your heart for the Eagle Scouts. So yeah. I just didn't know that. No, I'm just wildly impressed with them. It takes a ton of dedication to get through that. And so, uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it takes a ton of dedication at an age that I did not have that kind of dedication to most things, except my high school sweetheart. I ended up marrying. So <laughs> yeah, that was, that was dedication. We're going to get to that too. We're going to get to, I'm going to ask you some good things. Yeah. Here wonderful. Today. You ready? And, and I guess for the audience, I have no idea what's coming. I see a big notepad full of stuff. So yeah. this should be well, fun. It's really not that big a deal. We only have seven listeners, so it doesn't matter. I highly doubt that. Yeah. And I'm one of them, if that's true. So Okay. Maybe we have eight. Wouldn't Uh, that be something? The question is, when I listen to it, what I think about the jerk you're interviewing right now. So we'll see. Oh, come on now. You went to Kennesaw State University, but I... You didn't spend a whole lot of time there. What, three and a half years? Yeah, it was, uh, it was two and a half years. Uh, at least at the time of graduation, I was the fastest to get my four-year undergrad in Georgia, uh, in Georgia history, as far as I'm aware. Uh, I have no idea if that's still true, because who tracks Are you some things, kind but... of brain? No, I'm actually super dumb. I just, oh. uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was running for office at the time. I wanted to be out of school by the time uh, the election was done. And uh, I pulled that off. The problem was I just didn't pull the election off. So <laughs> so you were actually running for office as a college student. I did. I was, uh, I, I was, when I started that bid, I was 19. I was 20 years old the first time I ran for state house, though. Tell me, what was going through your mind? Why yeah. did you choose to do it? What, you know, were you in student government? No, I actually, uh, I was never in student government. I wasn't, I never volunteered for a campaign. It wasn't like I was a member of the Young Republicans or some, some group. I just, I'm a nerd. 
in a lot of different <laughs> ways. Uh, I did a, gr- I did a um, program called Youth Assembly in high school through the Y Club that used to take us down to the General Assembly. My junior, my senior year, we spent two weekends, one each year, uh, at the Capitol, and we created effectively a mock General Assembly. And so that was sort of my first exposure to the Capitol. And after that, I kept going down because I realized, oh, these meetings are open to the public. And so I would go sit in the gallery through high school and college and just watch during session because I loved the history of the we have an older General Assembly than the United States Congress. Mm. So we have one of the oldest meeting legislative bodies in the world here in Georgia. Mm. And uh, we I just loved that. But for me, it wasn't about the I'm a capitalist. I don't have a love for government in itself. I just I was that weird Republican who bought into the conservative agenda, but also thought lobbyists had too much financial interest in our capital. And that meant neither side wanted to sit at my lunch table. And so in college, <laughs> I, uh, I had never really been involved. I just, I knew that my legislator and I disagreed on the lobbyist money piece and I was constitutionally eligible. And so why not? Let's go run. And so I started pulling that together. I remember sitting with a, uh, a senior legislator at the time who did not know me from Adam, but he was super nice. He gave me a year and a, uh, an hour and a half of his time. And uh, we sat down, we talked it all through and he went, can, can I be honest with you? I said, yeah, please. He's like, you sound like a good conservative. If at your age, you take 10% of the vote, you're going to change the way I look at Georgia politics. And I walked out of the room and it's funny because in hindsight, I know he was exaggerating, but at the time, you know, you got kind of two ways to react to that. You walk out and you're super motivated or you walk out and, and I was, I did not take the motivated one. (laughs) I walked out (laughs) and went, crap, that's it. So I sat with my, uh, my girlfriend at that or my, no, my girlfriend at the time and my, uh, my college roommate and the three of us sat in a room, we had a big whiteboard on the wall and I went, look, it sounds like we're going to lose either way. So let's write up on the whiteboard what the what the ideal office and campaign would look like to us. And if it's interesting enough, we'll run anyway. If it's not, we'll just decide this whole America thing doesn't work and we'll go do our <laughs> own thing. So we wrote up uh, we wrote up stuff like no war chests. So I was the first legislator in Georgia to send all my money back to my donors after every election cycle uh, because I should start from scratch just like any opponent I ever pick up. Okay, wait a minute. Scratch. I got to back up here. So right now you're just dreaming of a campaign. Exactly. And you already decided at that time that if I get any contributions. We'll send them back when, when we're done with the race. Whatever we have left over. Whether you win or over. lose. Yeah, win or lose. The problem, right? One of, oh, one wait, of my, what do you, whatever you have left over, you're Yeah, one of my back? big issues in campaigns is that we build these war chests year to year. Because you, it's it's what builds incumbency advantage is that you're there forever, and so you you you. If I raise a hundred dollars off of you, but I only spend fifty, and then I break every promise I ever made to you, I'm going to spend your other fifty dollars to get reelected. That's wrong. It should be up to you whether or not I get reelected. And so my rule was always: if we have money left at the end of a cycle, and we always have, we'll send it back to the donors in equal allotments, and then they can decide whether or not to donate for the next round again. Because I mm-hmm. should have to re-earn your trust every two years. I shouldn't be able to run off of what I managed to save off of you the time before. Okay. And that's so, interesting. I'm, so I'm politically. We were the, yeah, we, good, well, it was, it was an issue that bothered me. And so we decided it doesn't matter whether we can file a bill for it or not. We can lead with it right now. And so mm-hmm. we started, we wrote up things like term limits. I filed the first bill for legislative term limits anywhere in the United States in 15 or 20 years. We wrote up things like uh, disclosure. The state will tell you how much we raise at given periods during the year it won't tell you, it, it doesn't tell you under certain threshold. We did down to the penny every day update on the website. You can always see where's our money come from, where's it go. We promised at the time, and I ended up following through after I got elected, uh, we would live tweet and we would do a write-up on every single vote I ever cast. So over the course of eight years in the legislature, I, I think I cast 4,500 or 5,000 votes. And you can go Good see Lord. a write-up on every one because the state will tell you how I voted, yes or no. It doesn't tell you why. And so you should be able to get that information. You shouldn't have to hunt me down. We held more public meetings than any legislator in, well, 
than any elected official in America over the course of that eight years. I held more than 400 public meetings. We did a weekly coffee uh, at Copper Coin every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And the, so we wrote all this up on the whiteboard, and at the time it was just a dream, right? What if we did these things? And we went, ah, oh, crap, okay, it's cool, let's run. So we, we <laughs> ran that year. We were outspent by, by an incumbent 10 to 1. Uh, we did not win, but I didn't take 10%. I took 46% of the vote that year. Uh, we 46, you almost we came won. real close. If I could have swayed another, uh, if I could have swayed 200 people to change their votes, we would have pulled it off. I'll be darned. And that so, was pretty close. Yeah. And so honestly, I walked away and thought, well, that was a fun experiment. And I went and got my career started. And, uh, two years later I was married. I'd gotten kicked off in career and I looked back and went, you know what? They had redistricted and, and the new district was downtown Woodstock and town Lake. It was my home. And I went, well, let's take another shot. And so that year mm -hmm. we ran, we knocked, I knocked on 17,000 doors in three months. Uh, Literally you. Literal 17,000 doors in three that's months. Gonna, <laughs> I feel my knuckles hurting just thinking about it. I a pair of shoes. <laughs> and so wow. we, uh, and we were, uh, we were again outspent 10 to one and we won with 55%. And Good so it was, uh, it was an adventure. And, and I really do believe it was the, the 20th district. It was Woodstock, Georgia saying, we want a higher standard of politics uh, it was less about what I what I loved about specifically politics at that time in Georgia is it, it was less about the national conversation. It was less about the 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 bullcrap we watch on the news every day. It was much more about people just asking for more. We expected a higher standard. And so our goal was to lead by example. Let's go do these things. It didn't require legislation to do a single one of those things. We could just do it. Mm -hmm. And so we did. We followed through for eight years doing it. And the voters rewarded us each time. And I committed at the start. I was carrying bill, a bill for legislative term limits for eight years. And I promised that I would not run more than four terms in a row in that state house seat. And I didn't. At and the so, end, when you could have run and you chose not to, was that a little bit of a heartbreaker? You know, it's uh, honestly, it's uh, this was never... A career for me. It wasn't intended to be. I don't think it was ever built to be a career for anyone, but it certainly for me, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about private sector too, but I've, I've had a successful private sector career. The, the private sector has been good to me and it's fun for me. I like to build. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. this is a, it's supposed to be a public service. That's what. Uh, Did you ever, ever have to aspirations to take it the further step up? If I've learned anything, every elected official looks in the mirror and thinks about higher office. The, the old uh, joke was, what's the difference between a state senator and God? God knows he's not a senator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you always wonder, you always think about it. But honestly, it's the more people that I come to know well and personally in those higher offices, the more trapped I watch them feeling. And I want to be in a place where you can really go make a difference. And so that's a big part of today. I'm sure we'll talk about the mayor's bid. That's a big part of what uh, is so appealing to me about the idea of this office is I spent eight years in a state house where we had some genuine wins. Uh, I filed and carried the first repeal package in Georgia history. We actually pulled law off the books as opposed to adding it. Uh, we, uh, we, the law that allowed breweries to sell beer in the brewery was a pet project of mine for years before we finally got it done. Uh, we had some real wins, but they were. So tell me more about that one. What is it? What was the law and what did you we change We were the it to? 50th state in the union to allow breweries to sell beer. So Reformation sitting 200 yards mm -hmm. from us here couldn't exist five years ago the way that it exists because you couldn't walk in and buy a beer. So when, when I started on that project, it was, they, if you remember back when Reformation opened on Arnold Mill back originally, mm -hmm. uh, they were stuck in a position where they had to, they were selling you a tour. And back then they weren't even selling a tour. I think they were selling effectively entry and a glass and you were getting tickets and they were giving you beer, uh, but mm. it was an end around they were pulling. And then we changed the law so that they could sell tours and still that was presenting problems. And so we ended up finally just doing what we should have done. Uh, and we adopted what was called, uh, it was Senate Bill 85 that it ultimately made its way into. 
which allowed them to just outright sell the beer out of the brewery. And we were the last state in the union to allow it. I actually filmed a video traveling to each state surrounding Georgia and buying a beer with cash <laughs> and then walking into Reformation and trying to buy a beer. Oh, you uh, can't, because it kind we of comedy? Well, was yeah, it I mean, it was, it, it, the unfortunate part, it was, it was comedy. It cost me three days of my life to go prove how stupid our law was. Oh and so my we, goodness. We, we went from Hey, something, when you're drinking beer at states all around it Georgia. It could be a it, worse that, project. Yeah, I don't think that's a waste <laughs> of your time. We, it, we were, we went from something like, two dozen breweries in the state to now we're we're somewhere around 200 breweries in the state and that happened within a year after that building oh that's fantastic it's a perfect example of uh i think entrepreneurs tend to be the answer to our economic problems people want to get out there and build something it when government's in the way we got to ask it i'm a believer in a role for government but the role for government should always be out of the way and we Mm -hmm. should be empowering entrepreneurs not getting in front of them and Mm -hmm. that was a perfect example of of antiquated law was put in place to try to curb the Al Capone era of controlling uh, breweries, and it ended up law that ended up stopping breweries from being able to open. And so we 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 fixed large parts, and there's lots of work left to be done there, but but we we made real gains. And so you got a head start. On so yeah, anyway, to, is so. to say, I guess we had wins in the state house. I'm proud of the time there, but man, you look at the opportunities in Woodstock right now, and just the the real opportunity to get shovels in the ground and do something and and make something of our home and our community. And there, I just Higher office is always is always appealing because it's a thing. But the reality is this 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 office specifically and the opportunity in our home city right now, I think is, I, I think it's unrivaled. And the ability to go do something that makes a difference not just for us but for my kids and for their kids. Uh, how do you how do you not jump at that? How do you not jump at it? Well, I can see that politics is in your blood. Or oh, I, public service. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say politics. I'll tell you what. The, the, the appeal of politics gets worse and worse, but the right. the appeal of getting to actually do something that matters is uh, mm-hmm. is always interesting. More from Michael Caldwell after this. Ready to get out of the house and enjoy a really fun event close to home? Then come to Chattahoochee Tech Foundation's Walk Through Woodstock Point 4K on Saturday morning, June 12th. Participants of all ages and their canine companions are encouraged to wear their grooviest hipster-style costumes for this event. All proceeds will go directly towards helping college students in need. For more information or to register, visit chattahoocheetech.edu slash walkthroughwoodstock or call 770-528-4461. I'm going to back up a little bit. Yeah. Your wife is pretty famous in this town. I, I, I'm, I'm very, I have outkicked my coverage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to back up. I want to know a little bit more about your personal life. This is really what we're about. We're going to talk about all your, your run for mayor, all of that stuff. But I want to know about your first date. All right. You know, when did you meet your wife? And her name is Katie. My wife's name is Katie. Mm-hmm. So uh, Katie Caldwell was Katie Archer. So I met Katie at Attawa High School. I actually met her, met her at Hillside United Methodist uh, Youth Group, TNT, mm-hmm. back then. Um, it's TNT. funny. Kate, yep, Dynamite. Kate, yeah, that's Dynamite. right. Teens and truth, of course. Oh. Uh, and so we, uh, as we look back on our lives, it's funny. We actually met each other several times through childhood. We both grew up in Eagle Watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, me on and off, her for most of her childhood. Before I got to know Katie, her mother was a leader at our youth group, and I used to tease her mom. I used to tell her, I'm going to marry your daughter one day. And I, I didn't know her daughter. I was just teasing with her mom. Uh, but looking back, it's fun to know that 
I, I guess I kept my word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, so when was the first date? So we took our first date. I was a junior in high school and she was a sophomore in high school. So I had to go pick her up cause she wasn't old enough to drive yet. So, uh, went and picked her up and, uh, we got a couple of friends and we went back to my house and watched a movie. Uh, Do you remember but, the movie? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, hmm. I wonder no, if she No, I was would. too focused on the, uh, on the, the fantastic girl I was dating. Yeah. So. <laughs> did you hold hands? Uh, like, oh. I am sure we probably did. Aww. Uh, but I remember picking her up and I remember her mom, uh, her mom read us a Bible verse. I'm sure my wife would remember what it was, but I don't remember. And I remember at the time, my wife was grew, grew up in a very churched home and I didn't. And so it was a very, uh, it was a, uh, fun, bizarre moment for me that ended up really couching, uh, the future of our marriage. And, uh, and I love that. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's a little intimidating so, yeah. maybe when you go in. You want it personal. I don't know that I share yeah. that part of the story a lot. So that's, that's personal. I kind of like that. I think you probably just gave a whole bunch of people a really good idea. I think oh, it's all, all seven listeners. <laughs> all Me seven too. of them. Yeah. So did you take her to prom? I sure did. Yeah, I took her to, to my junior prom and my senior prom. And then I came back when I was in college and took her to her senior prom. Oh, yeah. So cute. <laughs> so cute. And now you have two children. We do. Yeah, we have Oliver, who is a six year old little boy. And uh, I, uh, he is very into Minecraft and Roblox and the weather. He will tell you all about every natural disaster you could imagine. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm getting him prepped right now. I'm going to be doing little uh, Instagram stories of uh, him standing out with his fake microphone telling you the weather updates. So if you want great oh Woodstock weather updates, uh, follow at Michael Caldwell. Um, oh my goodness. There'll That's be terrible fantastic. updates, but you'll get to watch them from a six year old. So <laughs> I think it'd be great. Maybe he could be the official enjoy Cherokee weatherman. Ooh, I love that. Well, see, look at that. We'll have uh, to talk about we it. We were talking about what a hard time I had finding a job out of college and he's already getting job offers right? at six. Look six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have our daughter, Elizabeth is, uh, she turned two at the end of March. And so Aww. she is a firecracker, uh, way I keep describing her. I used to be worried about what guy's motorcycle she'd come home riding on. But now I worry about what guy is going to be riding on the back of her motorcycle because she's the one who will jump off of anything. Will oh, no. <laughs> Crazy. So tell me about your first job. What did yeah. you have? What was your first job as a well, high schooler? Or I was going to say, you mean first job back in high school? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I had a part-time job for a month and a half at a butcher shop. Ay, uh, caramba. Yeah. Oh, that would be like my worst nightmare. <laughs> and that, that was about me. And so that was about a month and a half long job. And then... Uh, tell me... What did you do there? Uh, I did a lot of counters. I mean, I, I tried to do everything in the butcher shop, but I ended up the guy behind the counter because I'm the wrong guy to do the rest of those jobs in the butcher shop. Uh, but we, uh, after that, what I really consider my first job, I went and uh, I started as an intern and then ended up working part-time in the youth group at Hillside. So I was a high schooler and I went and worked for, they had the junior high youth group, which was all the middle schoolers. And back then, Hillside was a massive church. It was like 250 kids in the 7th and 8th grade youth Where's group. that located? It's uh, in Town Lake over by Rose Creek Library. Ah, so the, yep, the, I know exactly yep. where it is now. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was my church home. I found Christ at Hillside. And uh, we, um, uh, so I worked at, uh, in the 7th and 8th grade youth group through the last two years of high school and through most of college. Wow. Uh, and got to know both uh, youth pastors that ran that group for a long time. I spent about a... 10 or 11 month period in between when they shift, when they switched pastors, uh, sort of filled in that interim role. And that was a, uh, a really neat first time job. You want to learn a lot about yourself, take 200 seventh and eighth grade boys and girls to Panama city and try to keep track of them. You learn all about 
uh, Christ talking about the shepherd leaving the herd to go find oh the one goodness. sheep. You you lose a uh, boy and a girl in seventh and eighth grade, and you will leave the herd. <laughs> to find the sheep, exactly. So are you also a minister? No, I uh, I've had, I wondered if that was what you were going to hand me. So I'm looking at it for the audience. I'm looking at a delightful photo of my business partner, David Leggett, and his bride, Katie Leggett, who is also the GIS manager for the city of Woodstock. Uh, and, oh, really? I did yeah, not know that. Yeah, on their wedding day over in San Francisco, and I am jumping up behind them like a doofus with a Bible it's in my adorable. hand because I married the two of them. Uh, they had asked me if I would. My cousin had asked me to do that for her out in North Carolina, and David asked me if I would. And so I got one of those cheesy licenses that let us do it. But uh, How I, fun uh, is it that? It was a lot of fun. It was a really neat opportunity to uh, to get to stand at my very best friend's wedding and talk about why marriage is important to me and why it matters. And so it's the, it's the one thing that we still have from before the fall. It was marriage I love because it was always God's intention. It's something that uh, God intended for us before the entire redemption story started. We've always had marriage. And so it's my, it's my very favorite thing. So it was a really neat opportunity to get to share. Well, that's great. Yeah, this was a picture I pulled. I was stalking you on Facebook. I'm glad. Good. Thank yeah. you. So that was really cool. <laughs> I was wondering if you were a pastor. No, so that was I, I spent some time uh, as a, in youth groups working professionally, but not, uh, but uh, I, and I thought for a long time ministry was the path I was going to go down. Um, but it was not. God you went down God finance. Me. I was called into politics instead. <laughs> no, you were called to public service. I was called to public service, and uh, and comically, I went into a finance major. But I've never really done a finance role. I uh, I have found myself in a whole lot of different entrepreneurial <clears throat> roles. But okay, so now you you graduated from college and you lost the election. I did. And you went, what was your first like real time job? First real job was a company out of uh, Roswell called Technopower. It was, and it's still uh, working over there. It's a, uh, it was a technical recruiting job. And so I went in and was recruiting um, uh, CAD, uh, CAD engineers out of uh, New England. And I, I think I was in that job for less than six months, uh, but I learned a lot. You, you learn a lot, number one, just because New England is a hard territory. <laughs> After that, I went into a role with a company called Vitru down in Atlanta that was a, uh, it was back, social media was still fairly new. It was really on the rise. Vitru was a social media marketing software that we sold to folks like McDonald's and uh, Coca-Cola and those guys. And Oracle bought us out. And then from Vitru, I went with uh, my business partner, David, and I, and my father, uh, and a couple of others started a company called Python Safety that was a safety equipment company. So we were all coming out of software and going into this industrial industry. Safety equipment, what kind of We equipment? sold dropped object protection gear. And so Excuse the- Excuse me? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, let's see how good a pitch I can do here. So okay. the, the, the fourth largest cause of death in the workplace, and the first largest cause of death in the workplace in the United States is uh, transportation incidents. The second largest cause of death is workplace homicide. The fourth largest cause of death is falls. So we, we've got a lot of construction going on around the mill right here. It's the guys mm -hmm. who are wearing the fall protection harnesses as they go up to height. Okay. They're mandated to wear those because so many people die over six feet off the ground. The third largest cause before that fourth largest cause is actually dropped objects. So it's tools, it's things falling on guys like that because the guy above him is wearing his fall protection harness, but he drops his hammer and it catches Aye. the guy under him. So many people are dying from that, that it's the third most likely way the three of us die sitting here, even though that's not going to happen. But statistically, so many people in those industries are being hurt. And so we came out, we were the only uh, American manufacturer of products like this, that this is all we did. 
And we built that company up uh, to about 30, 35 employees in Woodstock. And we sold that to uh, a company called Capital Safety, was a fall protection manufacturer, and one month later sold to 3M. So uh, we built it up here in Woodstock, sold to 3M, a Fortune 100 company. Wow. And I spent the next two years of my career there at 3M on an uh, equity lock-in and had a lot of fun helping build out the product line with a with an enterprise backing. So then yeah. that meant that you worked with 3M to yeah, help them. Yeah, I was an employee. Imp- and okay, it was, that's uh, really yep, cool. It, as part of the acquisition, there were four of us that were required to stay on. Wow. And uh, so spent two years doing that. I got to uh, do a lot of travel. Hey, during my time at Python, I was on, I averaged a flight every other day, including holidays and weekends. So for my wife's and my first seven years married, uh, between Python and 3M, I was, I think I was averaging 250 nights in a hotel a year. Oh my so, Lord. Yeah. When, when I, when I left 3M, I looked at Katie and went, well, we're going to figure out whether you really like me or not. <laughs> I'm about to be at home a lot more than I've ever been in our oh, marriage. Cats. And fortunately, knock on wood, it's gone well so far. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I got to, I hit elite on AirTran and Plat or and Diamond on Delta in the same six month period. You're probably we, still uh, working on those miles. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we, uh, it was a ton of travel, but uh, I got to see all over the world. And so I got to see places because the fun with traveling for that, I've been to every nuclear power plant in the United States. Uh, most of them now in that's, Europe. Now that's not my list of traveling it's, places. I, and that's the thing is they don't build those in big cities. So you fly into the big city and you drive four hours out to go to wherever you were going to go oh, meet yeah. or train or do whatever. But I wrote the, uh, I wrote the dropped object policy, uh, the safety policy that OSHA has now adopted most of, but uh, at the time it governed uh, I want to say it was half a million workers around the world. And so, wow. and again, fine, dumb finance major writing safety <laughs> protocols. So you just, you do it, you do what's needed. Well, from there, then where did you get th- your next job? Came? So from there, yeah, I left 3M and David, uh, David Leggett, who you've got pictured there is, uh, he's, he lives in Woodstock. He lives a couple of houses down from me. And David and I sort of grew, uh, like I said, I moved in and out of Woodstock growing up, but David and I grew up down the street. If I was in three houses, two doors away from each other, and those were to create a square, David was the fourth house in the square. Nice. And, uh, so David was a, um, uh, he is, he was my college roommate. He's just, he's my best friend of the world. Uh, but we, uh, he is one of genuinely the most talented software developers I think exist I, I'm going to say in the Southeast to be generous, but in, in the reality, I think in the country, he's really? just unbelievably talented. He created a website back in college that comprised 3% of total global internet traffic in a day. I mean, just a, wow. an unbelievably talented human being. And uh, he knew he wanted to get out of the safety industry and get back into software. He wanted to go build an agency out and really be the sort of the mercenaries of the development world. We're going to go when Coca-Cola needs augmented help, when McDonald's has an application they need to build when whoever that we'd be the ones to go build that out. And uh, I just wanted to work with David again. And I didn't care what that looked like. And so the two of us went off and we, uh, we found a designer that we liked, uh, hired him in. We, he actually had this brand black airplane that he was using as his brand. Uh, we liked it a lot. So we bought it from him and we relaunched the company as this development shop. So the designer had that black he did, airplane? Yeah. So it was his sole proprietorship brand effectively. And we bought it out from him and we relaunched this thing together as a black airplane in May of 17. And it really became this uh, software development shop. And so we hired employee number. Now we did all that. We had no outside investment. Uh, We've bootstrapped this thing. There's no debt, all cash flow positive, profitable, all the fun knock on wood things you want to hear about a business. Wow, yeah. And so it was David and me and uh, we kicked off, uh, we we owned the thing outright and the three of us shot this thing off and we hired full-time employee number 22 last week. No kidding. So uh, we've taken over the second floor of the gateway building there in downtown Woodstock and we're growing and 
having fun. Yeah, so you're, you're having a ribbon cutting for the new we hanger. We are for the new hanger. Thank what? you. So we, uh, <laughs> you don't you don't have a name like Black Airplane and not lean into it. Uh, but we uh, we were actually the first members at the circuit, the uh, co working space in Woodstock that uh, the Cherokee Office of Economic Development and Woodstock Economic Development put together at uh, Chat Tech. We were the first ones to come in and start there. It was three of us who kicked off in there, and now we're... Oh, uh, so that's where you actually we got, got your footing. Down. We were the first ones to do it, and it was a... And I, I would call... I mean, I would like to think we're a success story, and so... Absolutely, we, you uh, are. We've yeah. done we've done work for some of the very largest brands in the world, and um, we get to do cutting-edge work. We're building technology that solves real-world problems uh, for some massive companies, and we also do a lot of work that solves problems for sort of mid-market companies that are that's what figuring, i was wondering any uh, yeah what so, would be the smallest company you'd be working with oh that's a good question so that that's an interesting question because the for our target market it's different than like when it's in woodstock we do all kinds of stuff okay because uh, mm-hmm. we always want to take care of our backyard so i think we just launched a website for or i think we just launched the new reformation website last week uh, we've done work for, we've built internal tools for pie bar to help them manage inventory and, uh, do forecasting. We've done, if you go to truck and tap to any of their locations and you put, pick up that, uh, drink menu, that's not something they have to individually go and create every day. It automatically populates off their website and they just hit print. So we built wow. out that tool for that. So some really cool tools that honestly yeah. are, are, uh, are again, real business problems for small businesses that we've gotten to go fix for them. Uh, and we get to kind of bring the lessons learned from enterprise down to our local community. And that's part of why I think uh, the more in Woodstock we can do to attract attract companies like ours that can come and sort of help diversify the commercial base. And then also, you know, diversifying commercial base sounds like such a weird technical term that honestly just sounds like I'm saying I want more places to charge taxes. What I really mean is I love the uh, diverse commercial base means that all of those business owners get to interact with each other in ways they wouldn't do if these, if these businesses were in other places. Mm-hmm. And so I want to expose our business owners to more types of businesses because I think we'll see added value from it. And I think we have seen it. Well, on that same note, sort of, you really have a place in your heart for entrepreneurship and getting people to be more creative and having a launch pad for them to get started with those. I got to help. Uh, I got to work with um, Misty Martin at the Cherokee Office mm-hmm. of Economic Development. Her team, uh, I, they invited me to go up with them to MIT to get trained to launch their North Atlanta Venture Mentorship Service. And I think it's a really cool example of we are the only MIT-trained entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur mentoring service in Georgia. Uh, and we launched it in Woodstock. And the reason is... Uh, the, the line I kept using with everybody was we're the site of the original gold rush before the 49ers in California, people came mm-hmm. to Cherokee County for gold. And it was because people were trying to change their fate. They wanted to go and they wanted to build something and, and hit it big. And it was the, it was the entrepreneurs of the day who were breaking out and they were leaving everything they had behind to go take a chance and learn and figure it out and gain something. And I think we are, we were the site of the original entrepreneurial run here in this country. We are still that site. We just got to lean into it. So I, I, I where I, I look at cities like Alpharetta or the tech capital of the South, I, I want, I want Woodstock to be the entrepreneurial capital of the South. If you want to start a business, I want this to be the easiest place in America to do it. And I think we can do that. And I think we have a history in it. We have a, our mm-hmm. entire population. It's people who want to go build. Mm-hmm. And so we should be building together. If, if you want to take a chance, we want to take a chance on you. I mean, a place yeah. like the circuit is such a, a wonderful place really cool to example. plant those seeds, I think. Exactly. Yeah. It worked for us, and we're watching other businesses get off the ground that way, too. And so it's a really fun way to keep overhead low, learn from other entrepreneurs around you, and then go. when, when And it's it's a great—I'm We've I'm really proud of Black Airplane and the team at Black Airplane, because as much as 
I own the thing. It's easy to say, I'm really proud of all we've done, but I mean, stuff that employees do that we have nothing to do with, but we've got a company that gives back in that city. And, and it's fun on team calls to hear the employees talking about, well, yeah, but obviously we have to do this because it's the right thing for Woodstock. And it's just a, what a neat opportunity to go start cultivating entrepreneurs who care about the community they live in. That's part of what I think Woodstock and all of us who live there get right. So what makes us different is that it's, it's not just a city, it's a community. And it's a, there's just something in the air. People care about each other and you feel it. And I, I love it there. I agree. I agree. I feel that in all of Cherokee County. I agree. Um, but there is something special in Woodstock. And that's what why I love I about think- all the cities in Cherokee is that there's, you've got your own, there's a culture to each of these cities and it's, it's, each one is special in its own way. It's really neat. When you get into the downtown area, you just feel it. I went to, I went to Panera before here at the, in Canton. I went and grabbed mm-hmm. that went and grabbed lunch and I, I walked because I just like walking in this city. And so I, I love the cities here in Cherokee because they're. How long did it take you to get from Panera to here? To the, and we're in Thrive. At the I should have watched my watch better. I was on the phone, so I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> it's not that far. Though. No, it's really it not bad. It seems longer, but it certainly isn't We've had the long. same problem in Woodstock for some time now. It's funny. I, uh, uh, the number of times that I've had city employees say to me, we don't have a parking problem. We have plenty of parking. Yeah, but nobody wants to park in those places. So that creates a problem. But the, it's the people have this perception of how long it will take to walk from someplace to somewhere else. And The best uh, line I heard was somebody said, we don't have a parking problem. We have a walking problem. I, I agree. I look, I think that's an American problem. I think we, oh, yeah. uh, we have, we have given up on the idea of what I, I told you guys before the podcast, my dad was born in England. So mo- most of my dad's family on his mom's side is still in England. We go every couple of years to go visit him. And it's hilarious. Uh, the last time, last time we went, we also jumped over to Ireland and, uh, we were asking a guy in one of the pubs. So where is this next place we were going? And he goes, Oh yeah, it, that'll be an easy walk for you guys. You're Americans. I went, oh. well, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, no. He goes, it's only like six miles. Because in his head, we live far from everything. We must walk everywhere. No, I get in the car and I drive. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so, I thought it was going to be the other way. It's, it's a, a quick walk. It's two blocks. Well, but what's, normally. what's the old line in, uh, in Europe? Uh, um, in Europe, a hundred miles is a long way. And in America, a hundred years is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so Isn't that right? We, uh, but I, I love it now. I live, I live in the neighborhood right behind Copper Coin there. So I'm on Hubbard Road. And my business is right there in that uh, building at the fork of Mill and Town Lake Parkway. And so I walk to work most days or I drive oh, a golf cart. <laughs> and so you walk right past the Copper Coin. It's all, I walk past Copper Coin or Alma at Reformation or now the Reeves House. I've got multiple options for coffee on the way to work. I mean, what a great You're going to be town. all revved up before you get to the airplane. I, uh, <laughs> I accomplished that. <laughs> This show is made possible by Mountain Education Charter High School, graduating students and building better futures in Cherokee County and all across North Georgia. Visit MyMEC.org. That's MyMEC.org for Mountain Education Charter High School. Well, speaking of traveling, I got another picture of you sitting on the top of what looks like a mountain to me. And you look awfully cold having coffee. That would so be, what, uh, what do we have here? That would be Mount Kilimanjaro in England. Or in England, goodness. I wow, they moved it? Yeah, they, they moved it? Wow. Goodness, Seriously, uh, another, this is one of those Kilimanjaro? That was Kilimanjaro in Africa. That is the tallest mountain in Africa. What, and, um, uh, okay, I feel really weird, but did you climb it or did somebody... No, we, we, nobody put me there. Nobody flew me up. Wasn't up there. Uh, so really? Kilimanjaro is an awesome climb because it's a, it, for the dramatic majority of it, it's a non-technical climb. So it's not like Everest where you got to have, you're tied in and roped in the whole time. More like but hiking it is, must It's a lot like hiking for eight days. 
And so you, it's six, if for us, it was six and a half days up and a day and a half down because they have to gradually take you up because the oxygen level is about 20% of what you have here at the peak of Kilimanjaro. And so the biggest concern is altitude sickness and you've got to adjust your bloodstream to that level oh of oxygen. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, you learn quickly. Uh, you start picking up Swahili words as you're going, but uh, pole pole is slow, slow. Uh, and that's how what do they you yell at you the those... whole time. Pole pole. <laughs> like, slow um, down, slow, slow down. Slow, yeah, you're walking normal pace. You can't do that right now. You're not getting enough oxygen. Slow it down. And so you end up, you're just snail's pace walking this mountain. Uh, but yeah, uh, David and I uh, took my, uh, my father and the fourth business partner at Python after we had sold it. I had said for years, when we sell this thing, I'm climbing Kilimanjaro and I have no idea why. Uh, I, I, uh, it was just, it had become a goal for me. It was a mountain that I thought I can get to the top of that thing. And, uh, I wanted to be able to say I'd stood on top of a continent. And so wow. we, uh, we finally, uh, six months after the sale, we had a sales rep who started giving me crap for not having done it yet. So I got it booked and scheduled and, uh, we went out and it, it was, it was an adventure. You get to see just about every ecological climate Africa offers along the climb. So you start in the rainforest and your, your tents are surrounded by monkeys and then you keep no going. Way. Oh, it's super cool. You keep going. And when Did you the get monkeys to the top, interact with you, like oh, what, yeah. what does that mean? Uh, they, I mean, they were in camp. It was really neat. I've got pictures of these, these did things. They come, that, did they touch you? Uh, I did not touch one cause I like my fingers, but <laughs> oh, are they, well, they're wild animals. That's I, guess, I have no idea head. if they're aggressive in my head. I, I'm not going to, the problem is too, you're, I mean, you're out in the middle of, Tanzania, I have no idea what, what the hospital is going to look like. So I'm, I'm oh, going to yeah. keep my fingers where they are. Uh, but we, uh, it was great though. It's a, it's a, I tell everybody, um, actually, uh, uh, Jason Dickerson, who's running for state Senate, uh, on the Western side of the County right now was talking about doing this the other day. And he goes, would, would you do it again? I went, no, 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 but you have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it once, but I would never do it again. Was the, it scary? Okay. Wait a minute. Okay. You were, you're getting right into it. And I, I got hung up on the monkey. Yeah. Thing. So wait a minute, you start in the rainforest and there's monkeys in your camp. Yep. Okay. Then go on. Then what's then, the next one? So after that, you start into a, and I don't know the names for all these climates, but it's a, uh, you get into this really cool, like it's all rocks and they have these trees that look, they look like cacti almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, the, each branch that comes off means like 75 years. We're standing by these like 250 year old trees oh. that are just, they look like cacti. Uh, and then you go from there and you are into, uh, what effectively does just become rocks and you're now over the cloud cover. And so I've got some really cool pictures I'll send you where we are, we're still days from the summit, but we are standing over just all of the clouds uh, that sit over Tanzania and Kenya. And you're so then there's out. no more trees and nothing, no animals, nothing, and not, not what a about thing. goat, no, 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 no goat or nothing. And so you get, you keep going now for like three days and you're not seeing anything. And then when you get to the top, they have glaciers on the <gasps> summit. And so the coolest part is summit night. Cause you start at like 1130 at night because there's only two or three hours that the summit isn't cloud covered. And so they want you to be able to see Africa from the, from the summit. And that's between, some of this I'm making up, it's been several years. I, I want to say it was between eight and 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so they got to time you to get you from base camp at 15,000 feet up to, I think the summit was 19,310 feet or something like that. And so it's north of 19,000 feet. And so to get you that mile vertically, it's going to take seven to nine hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they start you at like 1130 at night. And the problem with that is you're in negative zero degrees Fahrenheit. You've got 20 to 30 mile an hour winds. 
and it you are freezing cold. I mean, the coldest I've ever been in my life. And I, I we sold a company to 3M. I've done a lot of work in Minneapolis and Canada. Uh, and I'm freezing cold. And so you, but the problem is there's no street lights. There's nothing like that. And so you get up at 1130 at night, you put on six layers of jackets. You, you have a headlamp on. And your watch is buried under all these jackets. You've got headphones buried in, but you can't, you've got three layers of gloves on. You can't change the song. And you just start walking behind the guy in front of you and you Mm -hmm. go. And it is the closest to sensory deprivation I've ever been because you have no idea how long it's been, how long I have left. When does the sun come up? All I can see is what my spotlight right in front of me is showing. It is a wildly cool experience and horribly miserable that night. But then you get to, and and the whole time you're walking too, it's like, um, it's, it's sandstone, but it's like sand. You're, you're, think about climbing up a sand dune, but you oh do that goodness. for like nine hours that night. And then you get to the top and you, right here is about an hour and a half shy of the summit. And it's when the sun starts coming up, you get up to the sort of crest. It's a crater at the top because Kilimanjaro is a volcano. And so you get up to this like crest and you rest finally. And then you go for the On last the edge hour of the and crater, half. You yeah, rest. you walk up around it to the peak of it where all the glaciers and everything sit. And it's just a really cool, and when I say crater, I don't mean like, it's not an active volcano that you're looking down into lava or anything oh, like that. Okay. It's just like a big flat where you can tell, okay, historically, this was probably something different. Uh, but you sit, you sit right here and you can see the sort of twin peak out in the distance. And it was a, it was a spectacular, cool experience. It's the most unplugged I've been in my adult life. Probably the most unplugged I'll ever be again. And then you have how many days to walk down? Only a day and a half. So they, they take you up for that six and a half because they're, they're taking you a long way because they're trying to acclimate your body at different uh-huh. levels. And so you're, you're kind of doing the up and down the whole way because they'll take you up, start uh, acclimating and bring you down a little bit more so you can rest and then up again. And uh, it, it was an adventure. So, so you, then on the way down, it only takes a day and a half. Yeah, and it's miserable because it works a totally different set of muscles than you worked for six and a half days. And so you've never been more sore in your entire life no than coming down, coming down was the worst part. How old was your father when you went on this? 51, 52, something like that. He was yeah. born in 64. So whatever, 2016 minus 1964 is. You do a fact check at the end. You can tell me that later. <laughs> That's right. Fact check with Katie is just right. getting a little tougher now. So yeah. Okay, well... It seems like this is something that people of of various ages can do. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's not absolutely. Something I that tell everybody, it's a perfectly accessible climb. What's fun about it is the 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 thing that will cause failure typically isn't athleticism, isn't what you would t- what you would expect stops somebody on Everest. It's the altitude sickness. There's just no way to train for that. Yeah, and so you don't know weird. how it'll impact you. You can be incredibly fit. How many people still, were on your trip? We had there were just four of us, but we had thirteen in our team of porters and support and all that that came with us. And so it was an adventure. So you were the only four people yeah. that were really on the tour and everybody else was support. For right. You. It's awesome. Wow. Isn't it? <laughs> that seems like first class. It, right it, there, it's, it's actually, it's funny. It's uh, it is not as expensive as you'd think. And it's uh, it's a fairly normal way to climb Kilimanjaro. Wow. Uh, but we, that yeah, we funny. used a company called climb Killy and I would recommend them to anybody. They were awesome. All right. I want to know what it's like to be in the house, the state house of representatives. <laughs> I want to know, for me, I don't know what that's like. To be honest with you, I've never even stepped foot in the Capitol. Oh, we got to fix that. I know. It makes me sad, especially, you know, with James, my husband. He's yeah. been in there many times, and I've never been in there. I need, a, I need a tour, and I really want to go see somebody's office. Yeah. 
And this is something I have for you. It is what, May? I wish we had talked five months ago. Oh. I had a key that opened all the doors. Now they don't know who Son I am anymore. <laughs> I got to get to know somebody else. That's well, this right. has been fun, Michael. Yeah, Thanks no, for coming in. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. Did you have an office in the Capitol? I did. Well, I had a, we had a legislative office building right next to the Capitol, and so, I had an office there. I had a cool view of the Capitol. I bet uh, you did. And then I had a desk on the floor of the House chamber. It was for eight years. I was going to say mine. It was ours. Uh, you, you lived in my district. It was our desk, but you let me sit there for eight years. And was it kind of a full-time job? I mean... Yeah, so the, every time somebody wants to talk you into running... So the state house, uh, our state legislators, we have the third largest legislature in the country behind New Hampshire and Pennsylvania. And if you wrap your head around that, New Hampshire has the largest legislature in the country. Yeah, that's like one of the tiniest states. It's wild. Them. They've got 400 members of their house, so they each represent... I think I represented 65,000 people, and each one of them represent like 1,800 people. And so you walk your neighborhood and you've gotten into the state house in New, New Hampshire. You've knocked on but more doors than that's that. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so uh, they, you know, by 10 times. <laughs> so yeah. they, um, but uh, of the legislatures in the country, of the third largest legislature in the country, and at least when I started in the legislature, uh, the stat we used to use was that we spent the least amount on our legislature in the country. Mm. And so it gives you a perspective of, I think we made $17,341 a year to be in the state house. Uh, Say that number again. $17,341 a year. Wow. And so it's a, you don't go down to make money. It is not running for Congress where they're paying $180,000 a year. Uh, you went into the state house because you wanted to go make a difference. And I learned the dramatic majority of people who were there, that was true. Um, and so what was interesting was uh, they will pitch you on, oh yeah, don't worry. It's only 70000 but it's a part-time role. It's 40 days of the year that you go down for sessions. So you start the second Monday in January, and you're going to end somewhere around the end of March or early April, but you've got days in between to go back to work. And what they don't tell you is for that entire time, you have committee meetings every day in between. You are at the Capitol just about five days a week for those four months. Yeah. And then through the rest of the year, they don't tell you about all of the constituent services. So my constituent who needs help with unemployment or their defects case or the, that doesn't, I don't, I can't tell them, well, call me back in January when we go back to session. Right. And so uh, the last time I tracked it was back in my second term, maybe third term. And I didn't want to track it anymore because ignorance is bliss, but I tracked time in the off session. So not when we were in the legislative session, but in like July, August, how much time was I putting in? And it would change between somewhere between 30 and 35 hours a week that I was putting in. Oh my in. goodness. And you go, okay, this is, I, I hear part-time job. I, I have all kinds of respect for the folks we have serving in our legislature because it's a lot more than I, what I learned was almost no one knew what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so mm -hmm. kudos to them for sticking it out. It is a, uh, but I'll be as much as that sounds super whiny, I learned a really important lesson on my first or second day in the legislature was the, uh, the majority whip said to me, Michael, when you want to complain about this job, remember you didn't just ask for it, you begged for it. And yeah. that was a really good lesson because uh, I carried that with me, was recognizing it wasn't just the constituents that you're looking at going, no, well, thanks for the honor, but let me whine about it for a little while. It was all the people who knocked on doors for you, who donated to the campaign, who, I mean, these are big seats and you got to raise money to do it and you got to get a lot of help to do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it was always remembering and trying to recognize that as, uh, as you go through it, because there are headaches, it's not an easy job. Uh, but it is a, one thing I learned, uh, was the the last time I walked on the House floor. So sine die is the last day of the legislative session. It's a terrible Georgian pronunciation of, of Latin that means without a day. Uh, <laughs> and so, but sine die of uh, 2020. Uh, 
yeah, would have been my last day in the legislature. And the last time I walked on that house floor, I got as many butterflies as I did the first time I walked on that house floor. And it is just a tremendously cool honor to walk on that floor and go, I have a desk right there. And this is a so cool. only 236 people out of 10 million get to do this job. And that was a, for eight years, that was, I, I consistently call it the honor of my life. And I mean it, it was just, mm-hmm. it was an honor. It was cool. As far as I know, you did a, a really good job. I oh, know people you. really thank have uh, talked about you as being a positive force for our community thank there. Thank you for that. As far as I know, also your name had been tossed around for other positions. Uh, and normally, somebody would maybe be looking at their career as being, you know, a town council person, a city council person, a mayor, and then move up to the House of Representatives and maybe Senator, that kind of thing. You are not looking at this at all. So as I, throwing at your hat in the ring as mayor, as a contender for the mayorship of Woodstock, you are not looking at this at all as being a step down. I'm, I'm taking an atypical political career path. Uh, to me, though, again, this isn't about a career, so there's no real path here. Mm-hmm. To me, uh, the mayorship is in no way a step down. It, it is sort of what I, I, I think it's the perfect role for me. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, I guess I think I could be a perfect candidate for the role. Uh, we have a weak mayorship in Woodstock, which means our mayor can't make motions. He can't vote unless it's a tie. Uh, even in case of a tie, I think in order for the council to override his a, a veto he casts, it's a simple majority vote from them. So if they make a vote and I don't like it and I veto it, they make the same exact vote again and then my veto didn't matter. <laughs> so it's a, it is a... So what good are you? <laughs> it's a soapbox role. I, I honestly, I view the role as a storyteller. The purpose mm. of the mayor in Woodstock is to preside over council and help guide direction and try to set a policy direction and build consensus. But most importantly, it's to tell the story of our city. And it's the, it's the pitch agent. It's the guy who goes out and and presents our city to the world. And I am in love with this city. And so I want to, uh, I want to tell the world what makes this place what it is. And I think we have so much going for us and we, we are an atypical city. Uh, I'm confident I'll get fact check on this, but I have yet to be corrected yet. Uh, the, uh, as far as I know, we are the only County in Georgia out of 159 counties. I know this to be true. We have the second most counties in the union behind Texas. Um, and out of 159 counties, we're the only County whose economic center and government seat are different cities. Mm -hmm. So Woodstock's actually a larger economy. It's a larger city than Canton. Uh, and that is atypical for a county. Mm-hmm. Typically, you've got Fulton in Atlanta, you have Cobb and Marietta, you have Bartow and Cartersville, you have Pickens and Jasper, uh, where the courthouse sits, the economy collects around. And Woodstock has built this really neat, thriving, vibrant city without a government center. Interesting. And I love that about our city. And I love that we've sort of followed this atypical path and that we, I, I view that the success there, number one, a great leadership who understands the, the importance of community and leaning in. Uh, but number two, to an understanding that we're a home for entrepreneurs. And so if you want to build something, this is where you do it. And so I, I want to see, I want to see that story told on a wider, uh, from a wider lens. I'm a business owner. I want it to be a spectacular place to start a business. I'm a father. I want my kids to want to raise their families there. And the reality, if we're all honest with ourselves, is the American pattern for cities is that uh, they get used up. They have mm-hmm. like 10 or 15 years, a really cool period, and then it, it gets expensive and you go to the next one. And so if we don't do something atypical, like we've historically been, if we don't lean into that and keep doing that, we're going to be, we're gonna be a, a city people used to talk about. 
And I, if I do that, my that's kids a frightening won't want to live thing there. to think about. It is, and so it, it, the beauty is, I think there's a lot of opportunity in it because most cities won't do something different. Mm-hmm. And so, what I love about Cherokee County, I look at cities like Canton, I look at cities like Woodstock, and I see cities that want to 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 stand the test of time. And most modern cities don't care. Uh, most moderns, I, I, that's. Well, no, I'm going to lean into it. I think most modern cities are leaning into the next couple of years. And I think we're looking at cities right now in this community who are leaning into next generation. And that's what I want to see Woodstock doing intentionally is figuring out how do we make moves today that will make this a better place for uh, for generations moving forward. And it's a question that uh, we I, we always used to talk about uh, at the Capitol. At, at a federal level, you got to be thinking in centuries. At a state level, you're thinking in the 50 to 100 years standpoint. And at a local level, you're thinking in 10 to 15. If we keep that mindset, we'll have a great 10 to 15 years. And then we're going to fall off the map. I want us thinking longer scale. I think Woodstock's done a great job of that historically. It's why we are where we are. We've got to We've got to continue that. When I ran for state house in 2010, the year I lost, I started my weekly coffees as a candidate because I thought this is something I want to do elected. I'm going to show I can do it. And I had to start them at Woodstock Coffee House, which was actually in Town Lake, where Sprouts is now. Oh, real? Oh, I know that place. Yeah, that was great. We didn't have a coffee shop in downtown tiny. Woodstock. That was, it was a tiny, tiny place, but yeah. it was all we had. Right? It was either that or Starbucks. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a coffee shop in Woodstock. It it, it was in Town Lake, and so I, we met there every Saturday yeah. morning. And then the owner of that opened up Copper Coin over in uh, downtown Woodstock, along I with a crew and all that. of that. And so uh, we moved our coffees downtown. And so it was a. Uh, it's amazing just the city I started representing in 2012 uh, versus the city that we live in today are dramatically different places. And and the re- I had a neighbor ask me uh, when I announced I was going to run for mayor, I asked, so how are you going to freeze this thing? I freeze went, it? You know, you freeze anything, it dies. That's the whole idea of frozen, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, if I put you in the freezer, you're, you're not going to make it out of there. <laughs> and so the, the, the one constant is change. I know. You aren't going to make it out of there. I love that. Put you in the freezer. It's, it doesn't it work. And so I, I know Woodstock will not look like today's Woodstock 10 years from now. It can't. The question isn't how do we keep it like it is? The question is how do we drive that growth? How do we drive that change? Growth and change can mean lots of things. These should be things that work for the people who live here, not the other way around. So they shouldn't happen gonna, to us. How are you going to instigate this? It's a great question. There's no single silver bullet to that, uh, to that question. I think that from a business perspective, we need to be asking real questions about what stands in the way of entrepreneurs opening businesses in Woodstock and starting fine answers to that. As a, as a family and for families, I want to see us leaning further into things like trail systems. I want to see us leaning into things like grid streets. So we, uh, we need more connectivity of roadways within downtown Woodstock. It's going to help us pull the strain off of those main arteries that run through. Uh, I think that we've got to start, we've got to continue to, I, I always tease, we're kind of the cool conservative decatur. I can carry a beer down the street, but we all vote Republican. It's just like wonderful balancing act. Uh, And really forget about the voting. I love that we love small taxes and we recognize small government. And yet we still, we, we, it's a vibrant downtown. And so we've got what everyone wants, regardless of their political spectrum. We've got all the things they want. We've got a balanced budget. We don't tax our citizens too much. I can carry beer down the road and we've got a fantastic art scene. What more could you want in a city? And so I think we need to be leaning into things that keep adding to that spectrum. Mm-hmm. If we can continue to build those features out, we can't lose. But if we don't lean into those things, if we start resting on them, oh, look what we did. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's when we go downhill fast. And we've watched it in every, so every neat small town in America. 
has, has followed that story. So you're watching a lot of resurgences in towns. Uh, we talked to you and I, both Midwesterners, right? Mm-hmm. We're watching a, the Rust Belts doing some really neat t- things in towns. You look at Greenville in South Carolina, it's had such a cool resurgence. Um, I don't want Woodstock to have a resurgence. I want us just to continue a neat chapter. I want, my, my metric of success will be uh, when my kids decide where they're going to live. I don't care where they decide. I want Woodstock to be in the running. Mm-hmm. And if we follow the American pattern, it won't be. And so we need to break the pattern for American cities. And I think we can, but, but if we don't hold ourselves to that standard, we don't decide the politics doesn't matter. The, the, the personalities, the bull crap doesn't matter. I want a thriving, vibrant American city. I think we can build that. And I think we, I don't think there's a city better positioned for that in the Southeast or in, in the United States than Woodstock is. You think you're going to bring back your, uh, Coffee with Caldwell. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I think uh, I may mix in some uh, pints and politics too. Ooh. So <laughs> I guess we'll say pints and policy. <laughs> uh, yeah, pints and policy. But, uh, I like that. We, we got a good. We got a good brewery sitting right there downtown. It's a uh, backyard. A, yeah, I got a, maybe good weather. Do Thursday nights down there, and then maybe an every other Saturday kind of game. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? That's a great question that I didn't come prepared for you for. I. Uh, uh, I just want to say thank you. I've really enjoyed this and I hope that I've brought something interesting for you and for your listeners. Uh, I am so grateful. I, Cherokee County has been spo- so specifically good to me and my family. Uh, this is home for me. I tease about, I kind of grew up and came from all over my dad. I said my dad was born in England. I'm, I was the only British citizen elected to an American office because through my dad, technically I'm a British citizen still. Ah. Uh, and every time I say that out loud, George Washington rolls over in his grave a couple of times. But the, <laughs> but for me, it, it, it was this thing that sort of catalyst, it was a catalyst for me. I learned, uh, I fell in love with the great American experiment because I really do believe it's fundamentally unique in the world. We're the only nation in the history of the world who ever recognized in our founding documents, rights come from God and not government. And that to me is so important and unique and incredible that we get to live in a place like that. And then you compound that with, oh, and I was lucky enough to grow up in the number one state for business in a state that prizes entrepreneurs going and building. And I grew up in a county with a spectacular public school system that got me off to the right start. Let me meet my high school suite. I mean, we just... I feel like I hit the fricking jackpot with where I got to grow up. You hit and, the fricking oh, jackpot. Man, all right. It's just such a cool place. And so uh watching Woodstock come into its own and really building in the way that it is right now and to get to to get to watch my wife investing in the arts there the way that she gets to and to go potentially have an opportunity to go help lead the the next chapter in this would be a I would be spoiled beyond belief. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm honored to just have the opportunity to ask. And uh, for you who live in Woodstock, don't commit anything on a microphone, but I'd be honored to earn your vote. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting to work. Very good. Thank you so much. But don't go away. I'll be right here. Because we have quickie questions. Ooh, all right. Medicare, what a headache. Where do I sign up? When's the enrollment period? Who can keep up with Medicare and all that other red tape? I'll tell you who. Bonnie Dobbs with the Bonnie Dobbs Agency. Bonnie and her team know all the answers when it comes to Medicare and other red tape. They might even help you find benefits you didn't even know you qualified for. Call Bonnie today if you're turning 65, retiring after 65, changing your living location, losing employer or union insurance coverage. Bonnie can help you with all things Medicare. Bonnie Dobbs is a licensed insurance broker who specializes in senior health benefits. There is never a fee for services and you will never get that high pressure sales runaround. Call today at 770-373-7541. 
That's 770-373-7541. And we're back. Let's go. Michael Caldwell, what's your middle name? Ryan. Do you prefer autumn or spring? Autumn. What was the last Halloween costume you wore? I was Batman. What was your favorite Halloween costume you ever wore? Sherlock Holmes. What place do you want to travel to most? Bermuda. Who's quicker to get ready? You or Katie? Me. On a scale from 1 to 10, how good are you are keep at keeping secrets? 9. Mm. Of all time, dead or alive, favorite president of the United States of America? Jefferson. Favorite city in the United States besides Woodstock? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> oh... You know what? I'm going to go with Orlando. We were annual pass holders at Disney for like six years. All right. Finally, who's your favorite pop singer? Taylor Swift. I I am the top 1% of Spotify listeners globally for Taylor Swift. Really? I am a diehard. Have you been to one of her concerts? I absolutely have been to a concert. How many concerts? Uh, Only Reputation, but that's because my wife's cousin, who I've yet to forgive, got married during the tickets we had for 1989. And that was clearly the best album that has ever been made by any artist of all time. Oh my and I goodness. Missed the concert. Have you ever met her? No, but maybe she'll be listening. Maybe she might be listening. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something yeah, else? That would be something. Yeah. If she is, I would, I would love that opportunity. You know, I forgot to ask you, have you ever met a president in the United States? Uh, I don't know that I've met a president. I have seen presidents. So I've been in rooms with presidents, but I have met, uh, Mike Pence. Oh, so I've met a vice president. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's cool. Like shook hands? Yep. Yeah. I got to do that twice. I, uh, Eric Erickson was a big supporter. Well, I hope still is a big supporter of mine. Uh, and he puts on the resurgent concert or, um, conference here in Atlanta and, uh, Pence was a speaker and, uh, Erickson had had me down. So that was a neat opportunity. Well, thanks so much for coming in today. I had a great time. I learned a lot and, uh, I look forward to seeing big things from you in the future. And, uh, anytime you want to come back, talk with us. Mike's always open for you. I would love to do that. Y'all don't be shy to yell at me. I'd love to be here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And we're back with Fun Facts with Katie. Woohoo! Woo! I got some fun facts. Do you? I do. There was just so much to go off of. I've got several fun facts. All right. Well, yep. I'm, I'm anxious to hear it all. So let's hear it. Well, so let's start with talking about Mount Kilimanjaro, which what a cool part of the story that was. Mm -hmm. Um, What an adventure. That would be such a fun trip to take. Um, But so I wanted to give our listeners some more facts about Kilimanjaro. Mount Kilimanjaro stands at 19,341 feet tall. Um, That makes it the highest mountain in Africa and the highest single freestanding mountain in the whole world. No kidding. Mm Mm-hmm. And I learned that it's actually a dormant volcano. I guess I never really realized that. I've never. He did mention that it was a volcano. Okay. Like he would sit on the rim of it or they yeah. sat on the rim of it, but I didn't quite get that. So it's dormant. That was. Yes. I was like, you'd have to pay me a lot of money. It is to dormant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And you and can kind of hike up it. Isn't that weird? Right. I think I would be a little bit nervous that it's going to all of a sudden come back to life. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine you're about halfway up there and all of a sudden you feel the rumbling? Oh, yeah, no. Mm -mm. Oh. (laughs) So the organization that Michael climbed with was Climb Killy, 
Um, and that is a business that has operated since 1984, and they provide guided hikes and other adventure activities like safaris and things like that. Um, and it was actually rated Traveler's Choice in 2020 by TripAdvisor. Mm. So it's wow. definitely a good option if that's something that you're looking for. And it was recommended by your neighbor. So that's right. Um, but this company, I really kind of got into digging into their website, learning about all of the different things that are involved. Obviously, this is a very strenuous trip that you would be going on. Um, but so they have extensive safety equipment, like personal supplemental oxygen, hyperbaric chambers, what? like pulse oximeters, all that kind of stuff. They've got stretchers and first aid kits, obviously. Well, I wonder if some of this stuff is like located at certain stopping points on the yeah, I didn't, route up there. Or? I didn't learn that. Um, I don't know. That's crazy. But what's neat is that in order to prepare you for the trip, they will, they send you kind of like a care package before you go that has an equipment list, a journal, but it also has a detailed fitness program that you are to do before you go on this adventure. Mm. Um, and it is very customized to how long is it until you leave for the trip? Um, what altitude do you live at? What age are you? What's your fitness level? That kind of thing. Um, in order to prepare yourself for the wow. climb. Michael was on the founding team of the North Atlanta Venture Mentoring Service, which is shortened to be called NAV. And it's the first MIT-trained entrepreneurial mentoring service in Georgia. And it was launched by the Cherokee Office of Economic Development. And Michael was appointed to that during his time as a state representative. Mm. Um, and NAV, the goal of NAV is to help new ventures increase their odds of success in Cherokee County. And mentors volunteer their time in order to mentor these new businesses. Businesses have to apply to be part of this program, um, but it follows MIT's mentoring program that they've already kind of been working with for several years and mm -hmm. have proven success with. Another fun thing that I learned about Michael in regards to his mayoral campaign is if you go to his website, which is caldwellformayor.com, you can actually see the contributions that have been made to his campaign if you click on the tab titled Transparency, and it totally details each expense, each source of income for his campaign, which he talked about was really important to him being honest and open um, for the sake of transparency in his campaign so that people really know where their money's going and how it's being spent. I think it's also so cool that he gives whatever money he didn't spend back, he right. gives back to the people that donated to him. Right. I think that's really, that's really quite special. admirable. Mm -hmm. yeah. So our last fun fact is one that I personally really liked um, that I discovered from looking at Michael's campaign website is that he lets people know that he is a community member, he's involved in the community, and that he attends the church Sojourn Woodstock, which is a locally grown church. It's a smaller church. And there are so many bigger mega churches that Michael and his family, I'm sure would have a great experience with. But I think I really appreciate that he is essentially supporting another local small business um, in his church. So yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah. I see a sign when I go down, down the main street. In, mm -hmm. I guess that would be South Main mm -hmm. in Woodstock. Yeah. And I see the sign, but then I don't really see a church or anything. So Right. So they actually hold their services in the Elm Street Arts Theater at ah. the city center. Oh, well, that's cool. That's a great facility for that, too. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you have any connections to that sojourn? I do. My second cousin is the pastor and 
one who started that whole church. So that's so cool. I can't even neat. imagine what it takes to start up a church. Maybe right. we'll have to talk with him sometime on a podcast. That's true. He'd be a great podcast. So if he's out there, if the pastor's out there, give us a jingle. <laughs> In the meantime, get out there and enjoy Cherokee. Enjoy. Enjoy Cherokee Voices and Enjoy Cherokee Magazine are produced by EMI, a nationally recognized award-winning multimedia content producer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. For additional information about this and all of our podcasts, visit enjoycherokee.com. If you enjoyed this show, click subscribe and take some time to rate and review the podcast now. It really does help us succeed in the booming world of podcasts.